This isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. The world's not perfect. So let's do this. Welcome back. I'm Amy J, your host, and you're listening to the second podcast of Through the Eyes of the Victim. And I want to do a little bit of housekeeping before we get into the channeling. Um, Again, I'm just going to tell you that I'm a medium and a channeler. So how that works is I will try to designate to you when the information is coming mostly from my brain. And most of it is coming from my spirit guides, um, angels, guides, and loved ones. Um, So when I am channeling, it is mostly the information they're sending me, but I am still aware that also my information or what I think comes through as well. It's not like a complete um, takeover, if you will. And the other thing I wanted to, and I think is definitely worth mentioning, is that sometimes channelers, and if you've listened to other channelers, our voices change, our intonation, maybe articulation, um, all of that can be impacted by the channeling. So if you notice that, (laughs) and I listened back to my first podcast and I thought, wow, I sound really monotone, but I'm not sure there's anything that I can do about that when I'm channeling, but just bring it to your attention and awareness. So my promise to you is, you know, to kind of be dedicated um, to making this podcast better and better each and every time. I'm not perfect. Uh, This podcast is not perfect. The world is not perfect, but we're going to do the best job we can anyway. And if you're interested in conspiracy theories, if you're interested in the details that of of the uh, um, crime scene or anything like that, then this is probably not the channel for you, but I will send you off with love because I appreciate that. Um, But I don't get into that stuff again. And I said it in the first podcast, I repeat it for you here. This podcast is about bringing through the information that my guides and the victims are sharing with me with all due respect, all due respect to Ethan, Santa, Kaylee, and Maddie, and this horrific crime um, that took place that ended their beautiful, bright, shiny lives much, much too soon. So I always want to be respectful for that. And one more thing before we get on it is um, I'm not going to be sharing names. I'm not going to be giving information that's maybe not out there in the public realm um, just because for privacy reasons. I might hint or allude to some things, but there will be no name sharing. Even though I have received names There will be no name sharing. So with that being said, we're going to pick up where we left off. And I apologize if some of the information is repeated because um, I can't really help that. Sometimes we get a little bit and then I get a little more and I may add to it. So there may be some repetition. So bear with me on that because it'll all make sense in the long run. All right. So (coughs) excuse me. 
I do still have a little bit of a scratchy throat as a, the taping of this. So um, I will try not to cough or sound, um, sound too bad. <laughs> I'll do my best. Okay, so with that being said, I'm just going to take a minute. I've already called in the angels, guys, and loved ones. I've already called them in to my space. And so as we give Ethan, Zana, Maddie, and Kaylee and their loved ones a moment of silence, I'll be tuning into my guides so I can bring forth the information we need to hear today. Okay. And also I do have notes, so I apologize if there's any paper rattling. I will try to keep it to a minimum. But I want to start off um, back in December when they arrested BK. Now, I don't know how some of you felt out there, but I want to tell you that I personally was very much shocked and thought, who is this? I really audibly said that out loud. Who is this? Because what I had been shown up to that point was not BK. Now, that doesn't mean that I didn't misinterpret some information that my guides had brought through. But I feel like it actually meant that um, this really isn't the perpetrator. And nothing that I've seen up to this point has led me to change that feeling. Um, and some of you may disagree, and I'm okay with that. Again, if this totally, completely is against anything you believe or want to listen to, I send you off with love because there's so many content creators. Use your discernment, the guides are saying. Don't listen to one person. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Listen to several. Use your discernment, including this one, to make your own decisions about it. But when I saw BK, I was just really taken aback because... Again, I thought, who is this? And if you remember, I said yesterday, white car, red herring. I feel like this is, was also the red herring. Now, why does that happen? You ask, and, and I know there's questions out there that say, well, why don't the spirits just come to you right away? and tell you, this is the person that did it, this, 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 show you everything very clearly, go to law enforcement, wash your hands, be done. <laughs> That's just not how it works. And I dare say that that would be a very unbelievable, probably for many, to have that. There are, however channelers, mediums, psychics, intuitives out there that do see 
um, bigger portions or maybe see where someone, if they're missing, see where their um, body perhaps is located or something. And that is awesome. But again, as I said yesterday, I get the puzzle pieces and I put them together to create the the puzzle. And these pieces that I'm talking about, like in my first podcast, in the podcast right here, almost feel like the framework. And I, when I put together a puzzle, (laughs) I always put the frame together first and then build in. So I feel like this is, they're guiding me towards the um, framework. Excuse me. All right. Let's see, I'm looking through here. Okay. Okay, I did see um, a white car. I know we said the white car is the red herring, but I do believe the white car, I do believe it was BK. I see someone running towards the car. Now, if you look at, and this is coming from the law uh, legal documents if you look at the time frame that they have provided it's roughly and i say roughly and approximately an 8 minute window that bk had to do this horrific crime in and get out without a trace of evidence on him a tr- and when i mean by a trace of evidence uh DNA, um, anything that could have been um, um, taken from the victims or or not taken as in a physical sense, but like DNA, blood splatter. I just don't like to talk about those details, so it's, it's hard for me to say those. Um, and so in that eight-minute window, that's really, really a difficult a difficult time frame for him to get in and out with. Um, I do believe he was there. And without getting into the complete theory that I have, which I will do in later podcasts, I believe he was there. I don't energetically feel him. At the time of the crimes, if you will, I believe he was called in. And when I say called in, um, this is all my opinion and what I'm getting for entertainment purposes, allegedly, (laughs) and all those things we have to say legally. um, By the roommates that were still alive. I do believe he has a uh, a drug connection. I don't believe this was a drug hub. Uh, it was more recreational. They're in college, drinking, recreational drugs were part of the lifestyle for many, many, many of them. But it wasn't like 
they were dealers. I just want to make that really clear because there is some speculation of that being in that house. I think it was more recreational use. That's what I get. Um, uh, let me go to this next page here because there was something I recall. I'm sorry. Okay. Thank you. Um, so yeah, uh, it makes sense. And I'm being guided that, that college alcohol and drugs are synonymous, not for all. I'm not making a blanket statement that all of them, but for many, it's part of the experience. But I think what Zana and even Ethan both came through really strong on this, that because of the history with Zana's mother, we all know that there's a history of drug um, abuse with Zana's mother and that she had been incarcerated several times and had um, an addiction and a problem with drugs for many, many years. And that's why Zana lived with her father. Um, so that's common knowledge. That's knowledge that we know. But when I'm taking it back to Zana, what I heard them say is they stayed pretty clean. They stayed pretty clean because of Zana's mom. And especially because her dreams were much more. And her dreams included Ethan. And that's why I felt like they came together because he supported her in that um, in those dreams, and he supported her with, you know, not going overboard with the um, with the drugs themselves, because she had bigger dreams than that, and she wanted more. And the thing that she said that really touched my heart and really, you know, made me feel for her was. She said her mom was drugs, not a mom, just drugs. And those words of her really summed up her feelings about that. So I really feel like they did stay fairly clean. But occasionally, you know, using them. And we know again it's knowledge that Santa asked for her bedroom door to have a new lock. I believe in what she said was that, that was a premonition. She knew because of what she experienced and knew about her mother's lifestyle that not everybody in that world was of the highest caliber, if you will. And so she wanted to feel safe. She was very, very, and still is highly attuned, 
highly intuitive, highly magical, water fairy warrior, <laughs> like I said in the first one. And she had some uneasy feelings about the future. And it's possible because some of the people that came around gave her that feeling. All right. Um, again, they've repeated over and over that he didn't do it. And in this middle portion, I got a lot of stuff um, regarding Chief Fry. Very, very, very interesting. Because I was planning on recording this today. And this morning, something came out. And I'm going to address that at the end when we're updating what's going on currently. These are messages that I received after BK was arrested. I call it like the middle portion of it. I did talk a lot about the hands on the tattoo, the self-made tattoos on the hands of the perpetrator. And I did get, um, as I'll call him, the smelly guy because he smells of oil. And I spoke about him in the first podcast too. So go back, please. So I do not have to go through that all again. Um, uh, oh, sorry. Give me a minute here. The hands on the tattoo, yeah, tattoo on the hands were self-made, but also they showed me a, a thumbprint and the thumbprint, um, kind of gave me the symbol. Remember, I work in symbols, puzzle pieces, that perhaps a thumbprint, but maybe not literally, maybe just symbolically, some of his DNA was left behind. Now, that's what I got in that middle portion. And of course, we know now it's come out in some of the legal documents that there are some other unidentified male DNA that was never identified or never looked into. Um, uh, back about uh, the Chief Fry, I felt very much an overwhelmed feeling about he had some ambiguous feelings about the outcome. And I feel like he took it personally, was very discouraged and felt a sense of failure because I don't believe he thinks justice was being served. I think he, he in using his own probably yeah, his own, um, 
his own instincts that he's developed in all the years of being in the police force. He knew that there was something wrong with the scenario. And as I said yesterday, though he showed me an empty hand where the investigation was removed from his hands and taken over by the state and maybe even the federal law enforcement. And he had very little voice. I saw him with empty hands and a constricted throat, meaning they weren't really listening to him. And that was very, very hard for him. Very hard. Um, there was some, and this is kind of, again, some conspiracy theory part stuff. I didn't get into it all the way. And let me just say some of this information that I'm reviewing and coming back to in this retrograde time has given me inspiration to maybe go back in and feel upon some of these earlier points that I got to see if any new or more information can come through. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I did feel like that there was some framing of BK. I don't, excuse me, I don't know sure how, if I look at my notes from this time, um, and that is one of the things I think I might want to try to meditate on and get some more, more information. Um, and I don't believe he will be found guilty. I don't know, again, and I said this yesterday, or not yesterday, but the last time I taped as well, I don't know if he will be found not guilty and or technicality and or plea out. I'm not sure that's really quite been determined yet, or if it has, they're not showing me, but they are showing me he won't, he won't pay for this crime. He, he won't be found guilty. Let me just say it that way. Sorry. Um, they talked about uh, two people, <clears throat> excuse me again, two, two perpetrators, the uh, smelly guy, uh, was the actual one that inflicted the wounds, if I can say it that way. And there was one then, reluctantly, I feel some reluctance, some not really wanting to, um, to be a part of it, but yet was caught up in it, uh, that helped with some restraint. But I don't necessarily feel like that was this person's plan initially. It's very confusing for me and maybe for you out there too. Again, if you're a psychic or a medium or an intuitive or just someone who's highly sensitive and you are picking up on things, there's some confusion with that. There's some confusion um, with sometimes I feel like, yes, that this was something that was okay. And then another time, I feel like there was some reluctance. So I'm not quite getting why that is. And that might be, again, another thing to meditate on. 
I feel like this was a very chaotic scene. I and let's go back to um, let's let's go back to Koberger if we can for a few minutes here. Um, and when I said he was called in after the facts, but there has to be a connection because logically, and this is me saying this now, you can't just. I've heard people say, oh, somebody turned him in. But you can't turn someone in if you don't know them. It's not like you go through the phone book, you find a name, and you just put it out there. And so I feel like that there is a connection. And maybe maybe law enforcement know that. And we're just not privy to that information. I know that there's a lot of information they know that we don't. But I feel like his connection, when they show me the connection, it's a thin thread. So it's not like a love connection. It's not like a long, um, uh, a long time. It doesn't look like a long time frame, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's a thin thread. And so it's more a um, acknowledgement and or a acquaintance. But there is a thread. But I think the thread links for me to the two surviving roommates. Now that's not to say that's the others didn't know him, but the thread I'm seeing now links to them. And so what I what I think is part of this, I need to rephrase that because part of this is me trying to make sense out of a very, very horrific census act. And part is the puzzle pieces that they're giving me. So it's kind of a joint venture. I see him not energetically in the house at the time of the crime. I see him coming after. I feel like the smelly guy is the, the local the local um, drug connection, possibly for the college, um, excuse me, or just for, excuse me, one moment. I'm going to take a quick drink. My throat's getting really dry. Sorry about that. Possibly for the college or just these particular students. And so I feel like the local guy was introduced by Brian. Okay. So the local guy was introduced by Brian. He may have been in the house prior to this, this crime event. Um, 
and and that would be maybe delivering some recreational drugs. Um, I'm not 100% certain on that. That's something I need to meditate on as well. But I feel like he had some knowledge of the people in the house. And maybe even took some over there and maybe even, you know, tried a little bit out with them. But he was smelly. <laughs> he was creepy. And they wanted really nothing other than the drugs to do with this guy. He was older. He just, he wasn't, um, wasn't anyone that they really wanted to associate socially or any other level. Now I'm talking about the oily guy, the smelly guy. The night of the crime, I do see a couple of people standing in that tree line. I feel like there's definitely drugs involved. And he, if I can say this, was his own best customer. And on this night, there was in his mind, and I don't try to get in his mind, so I shouldn't say that. Sorry. Let me let me take that back. I don't try to get into his mind. I try to stay on the outskirts or the peripheral of his energy. I don't like to get into negative energy, energy of people that do the crimes. I stay clean of that. I want to be clean of that. But what I'm feeling in his peripheral energy was that he wanted to go over. He was very, very high. He was very, very under the influence of drugs. And he wanted to go and party. I feel like he wanted to party with Madison and Kaylee. That, that's who he was attracted to. That's who he wanted to party with. And more. I think he had some expectations of partying and more. If you understand what I'm saying. And that was never going to happen. That wasn't, that was never going to happen. It was a very chaotic scene when he went into a rage, drug-influenced, realizing rejection. I'm not good enough. You think you're better than me. You've got more money. All of those resentments that he carried in his, his heart kind of came out in that uh, horrific crime. And then, again, I just see so much chaos. It's just there's so much energy around that, just chaos, negative. 
it's almost like it's swirling and, and whirling around. And again, I ask my guys, please do not show me anything um, that I'm not going to be able to unsee. I don't want to know the horrific details. So if it sounds like I have holes, it's by choice. I do feel that Ethan and Zana were either not sleeping or maybe just one of them or both of them, or uh, they weren't in a deep sleep or um, they were up. But I feel like they, they heard some commotion and um, they were kind of casualties, witnesses. They saw what was going on and, and um, unfortunately their lives were ended as well on that fateful night. So then you ask, why weren't the other two? And I do believe the other two were locked in their rooms. I believe the second person, which was with the stinky guy, was like, we got to get out of here. This is crazy. It's We just got to go. And, and the time frame spared him a little. But I believe the surviving roommates called BK because he was the connection to the smelly guy, introducing him to that local drug connection because of the chaos, because of the drugs that they may either had in the home or in their system. And I think, I just feel like they called him to come in. They also knew about his background. They didn't know what to do. Um, and I think he gave him, them some advice and he got out of there, which would make sense with the eight-minute window. And I also feel like he um, was horrified. I just feel like he was horrified by the by the whole thing, too. And um, again, this is what I got in the middle. So... I'm going to go back now that I'm seeing some of these things and I need to pull more energy and more information. But for right now, I'm going to end the channeling now. Thanking my angels, guys, and loved ones. Ethan, Zana, Kaylee, and Maddie. At this time. Thank you. Okay, um, so what, uh, there was something I said in the beginning. Okay, oh yeah, about, sorry, about Chief Fry and having felt his energy this morning. So I saw something out there that they were saying there was another conspiracy thing about how he's a murderer or he's got bad land deals or He's just not an honest and upright guy, okay? But I don't necessarily believe that myself. I, I really feel like um, he believes there's more to the story. He wants more to the story. He's not being listened to. 
the case was taken from him um, and he wants to have more say in this. He's very disappointed. And, you know, I almost feel like a little bit depressed, not that he has depression. I want to just make that clear. I'm not saying that, but just has some depressive feelings about how this all went on. And so I believe those things that come up and when they do come up about disparaging his character is because that's exactly what they are intending on doing because he wants and perhaps knows some more information that he wants out. Um, but there's been a lot of secrecy, a lot of shrouding of the truth and this kind of thing around this whole case. And I believe that this is just a way of discrediting him, very much a preemptive emptive strike, if you will, so that if he does speak, if he does want to come out and bring some of this forth, um, that he's already in somewhat of the public eye as being discredited because of all of these rumors about this other stuff that's going on. And so again, my guides are saying, again, use your discernment. Don't let anyone tell you what to believe. And I would say, listen to several different sources. Do not put all your eggs in one basket. And that includes this, this podcast. Listen to other podcasts. Um, listen to other pieces of information. Right now, Again, this is this is almost um, when we speak about what's going out in the universe, it also happens in our life. So so the macro, what's going on in the universe is very much polarization of my way, your way. There's no let's meet in between. And this case is like that, too, which just really astonishes me that that we we have those guilty, not guilty, nowhere in between. So what I think they're trying to say is use your discernment, be open to that in between, make your own decisions up and your own minds up about this case, but about everything that's going on in our universe today. But I am telling you, and I will say this again, secrets, dirty deals, dirty deeds, crimes are being exposed. They are coming up. They are being exposed to the light. Now, whether you choose to believe them or not is up to you. But if you're using your discernment and you're trying to see is is that possible? Do we know that to be true? Is that possible that he really is innocent or whatever you're hearing this about, that there is some innocence there? Or is it possible that he really is true or that he really could be guilty? But what they're saying is don't just um, 
go to that, that one side or the other. And that's how we're going to get through this energy in our political times here in the USA. That's how we're going to get through all these polarizations that's happening around the world right now is to be able to see from the middle out, from the middle out. All right. I'm going to end it here. And I want to tell you to have a great week. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Amy J. This is Through the Eyes of the Victim. I will be bringing back the final one that just kind of goes through the background, that framing of the puzzle that I have. And then we'll start talking about what's going on currently, as well as some cold cases. So here's what I'm going to leave you with. Have a great week and live your life on purpose. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Until next week, live life on purpose.